following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Verse 18, Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Marah, Mamre, which is in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Joshua 1.3, this is a different time frame in Israel's history. Moses is dead now. God speaks to Joshua now. My servant Moses is dead now. You lead these people, cross this Jordan, and go into the land that I promised to give you. Joshua 1.3, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Now there's just two very simple scriptures, very clear, that God tells two people to walk through the land. Now we know that if we are, uh, if we look in Galatians, we know that when God spoke His promise to Abraham, He spoke of a spiritual seed. And we know that if we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So we know that God spoke of a spiritual seed that would come through Abraham, through the lineage of the children of Israel, on through all that age, and then one day, a little manger, there'd come the Son of God, the Word that became, that became flesh and dwelt among us. And so God gave Abram a promise, Abraham a promise, that he was to walk through the land, through the length and through the breadth. And Debbie and I first came to Chiang Mai. Uh, we were newly married about two years married, and Debbie had been a single missionary before I was, and so she had a lot of um, different people that she knew around the world, particularly in the Philippines, and so I did a six-month internship and decided to go back and meet up with um, some of the people that Debbie had known as a single missionary, and one of those countries was the country of Thailand back in 1989. At that time, we had a very good friend in Bangkok, Bobby Nishimoto, some of you may know him, he's been a missionary in Thailand 30, 38 years, he's retired now. But he was the guy that wrote the Thai concordance that took the, took the Thai language and from the Hebrew and Greek and put into the Thai Bible, bypassed English. The Bible Society, I think, gave him his doctorate degree. So Bobby was involved in a lot of Bible schools in Bangkok and, and introduced Debbie and I to several of those schools. And at this time, Debbie and I were passing through. He said to us, Have you ever, did you ever come to Chiang Mai? Obviously we hadn't. And so he arranged the time for us to come to Chiang Mai. And that time we didn't know anybody in Chiang Mai and he had called up here and uh, had Ajahn Saman who was a part of the Chiang Mai Fellowship Church just near the Pape Gate and so uh, Ajahn Saman picked us up with his, with his uh, wife in his little blue car and he took us I think it was to Faham Road and we had some khao soy first time we ever had it first one introduced us to it and so there he was and this guy just picked us up and Debbie and I didn't have any money very little cash at those days just not a whole lot to, to speak of and so we had to ration our money. And so we had, to be, we had to humble ourselves and tell them we didn't really have a whole lot of cash. And we couldn't stay in a guest house. So Ajahn Saman took us to the Chiang Mai Fellowship Church and talked to the pastor at that time and asked if we could use their second floor. <laughs> and put us up in that second floor with a little fan, with a little, little straw mat. And there we were. And gave us a guitar. And we taught on spiritual warfare. We taught on prayer walking. We taught the church on worship. And because we didn't have a lot of money, we decided we would fast. That sounds like a spiritual thing to do when you don't have any money. And so we rationed our money. We could have one meal a day. That was what we decided we would do. And so God took it very seriously. God took that time very seriously. 
And one of those days between a, a three-day period of time where we were fasting and asking the Lord for Thailand and what to do, and God gave us this verse, John, uh, Genesis 13, 17. And so we went out of that church, went to the corner, turned left, out to Tape Road, right there by AUA alumni thing, turned right, walked right up Tape Road, right through Tape Gate, went as far as we could. I think we crossed over the, the river, thought, okay, that's about as far as we could do. <laughs> turned around and went back, and then we just went the other way, as far as we could. And we asked God to send forth workers. In Dick Eastman's book, The Hour That Changes the World, also in a good book written by my very good friend Mark Eppard, The Attack Land, and a lot of his teaching that comes out today, pretty much all of it comes from this book. And um, they share, there's four biblical prayers that we can pray very easily. One is to pray for workers. Matthew chapter 9, verses 38 through 39, where Jesus looked upon the multitude. And he said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were downcast. And Jesus said that the the harvest was plentiful, but what was the problem? The workers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth workers into his harvest field. And so at that time, we prayed for workers. The second thing that we pray for is open doors. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, pray that that God would open a door for the word, that we might speak forth the mysteries of Christ. Every worker needs an open door. And so we pray for open doors. The third thing we pray for is fruit that remains. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, these things shall he do. John chapter 15, verse 16. So so remaining fruit we pray for. And then fourthly, We've had this discipline in our lives where wherever where we go, we ask God for these four things. And fourthly, we pray for finance. Every worker needs a, every harvest field needs a worker. Every worker needs an open door. Every worker wants to be fruitful. Every worker needs money. And God has all the money, right? Puts it in the hands of people. And God has promised that He would meet every need according to the glory in Christ Jesus. Every laborer is worthy of His hire. You have to remember that. And so here we find these scriptures where God told them, God told Joshua to take the people in. He said, This shall be your territory. From this river Euphrates all the way down through, no man shall shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was Moses, I will be with you. Okay? So there's very simple things. If you can walk, and if you can talk, you can prayer walk. Okay? So prayer walking is walking and talking with God. Let's go to this next slide. Let's look at where to go and how to pray. And I want to share with you five pressure points that can change a nation. Now, every, every city, every Muban, every village, every country area has these five pressure points. The first one is the centers of government. Okay? Centers of government. First Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy, pray for kings and for rulers and for those who are in authority that we might live a tranquil and quiet life according to all godliness. Proverbs says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. It's like, it's like channels of water. And God can, God can turn that heart. So we pray for governments. Any form of government. Government makes laws, right? Every society needs laws. Romans 13, let every soul be in subject to those who are in authority. God tells us that He puts people in authority not, for the, not necessarily for those of us who are righteous and who obey the law, but God's going to Bring judgment through these institutes. And so the second one is, we'll, we'll come back to these a little bit. second one is, is centers of spiritual activity. That could be temples. It's just a, a, a place that they think is a holy place. 
could be a tree where they sacrifice to, or they have ribbons tied around it, or they have some incense out there, or a bowl of oranges on top of it. You know, places of spiritual activity. Could be uh, churches. Could be, in a good sense, a church is a place of spiritual activity. Um, Thailand has these everywhere. Thailand has a lot of these. And I'm sure that some of you are aware of where they're at in your location. Huh. Just this um, past fall, in November, we had a medical team in Nong Bulumpu. We were involved in planning a church down there. And some doctors come and do some things there, some screening eyes and giving glasses out. And it arranged that we would go in there with this medical team. We went to talk to the, uh, the, the, the chairman of the village committee, face-to-face, talk to him, like to have these doctors come in, no problem, no problem. Sure, can come. Well, two days before the outreach, he went around in the village and said, 300 baht a person. 300 baht a person to come and see the doctors. We were in shock. I went down there, our team down there, man, long face, Wait a minute, what is this? Long face discouragement. What's going on here? Oh, Ajandan, me banhayo. We have a big problem here. What happened? Well, this guy said 300 baht a person. Wait a minute, we had two more days for the outreach. So right away we went around to keep people in the air. It's not a very big muban, it's very, very small. So, day of the outreach, oh, I'm sorry, that night I said, Where's the village? Where's the village idol? Where's the village idol? Where do the people go and give respect to? whatever it is that operates there. Where's the village idol? About 8 o'clock at night, they showed us where it was. We took a group, three or four or five of us, walked around that idol, just declaring the name of Jesus, just saying, God, whatever is operating here, we just right now take authority over these spirits of wickedness in heavenly places. Lord, we loose these people to they might come to know Jesus. Had a great outreach, wonderful outreach. 300 plus people came from the village. They were shocked to know it was free. Now listen, folks. Two months later, the village chairman of the committee just happened to give his letter of resignation. Just happened to resign. Just happened to say, okay, I've been the chairman long enough. Then I remembered what we did. Places of spiritual activity. Take this very seriously, folks. You're going to be, you're going to get it today. You're going to get it. Centers of education. Now we know that our children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of our children, right? A center of education begins the teaching methods. Well, we'll talk about two about that. They don't work too good, do they? But what is, what is it doing? It's shaping the mindsets and the hearts of the people, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says, Although we walk according to the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds pretty much are in the hearts and minds of the people. Okay, so through a center of education, through a system that doesn't work, is forming mental blocks in people's minds through the mental map of thinking. What happens? It tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. That's why Paul says, we take every thought captive unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. Everywhere I go, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over these false claims of Buddhism in this place. I pray it all the time. I pray it all the time. Why? Because our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. We're going to learn that. So these, through these entrance points, through these places, the enemy takes a foothold and we don't even know about it. Number four, huh, centers of commerce. Okay, Banks and businesses. We saw in the video, a couple of those guys walked through around some of the banks. Right. Well, if there's no money, you don't have society. 
right? There's no money. There's no city. Okay, so uh, centers of commerce. Jesus went to marketplaces and released people, set them free. And then we have number five is the centers of communication. What is being communicated in, in society? Could be arts and media. It could be uh, newspapers, you know, newsstands, CDs, movies going out there. What is it doing? It's, it's places of communication. And these are the five pressure points, okay? Like everybody, you know, we know pressure points, right? You know pressure points. If you, if you squeeze at a pressure point, you squeeze hard enough, right? If, if those of us who have raised children, you, everybody knows this one, right? <laughs> ah! Right? It's a pressure point, right? Okay. Now, if, if, if a society are not built on these, this is what a society, this is like the, the infrastructure of a, of a community. Every Muban will trace it back to some form of level of, of government center. Could be the Puyai Ban's house or the Gamnan, then it the, goes up and up through the Khmer. And every society is built upon these five pressure points. And we know that they're good, they're not all bad. Okay? So, just jumping ahead a minute, I'm going to make a comment, and then we're going to come back and we'll fix it up when I get there. But you have the four forces in Ephesians chapter 6. When the Apostle Paul went out to pre- preach the gospel where Christ had never been named. He went into places where they didn't even know or hear about Jesus. And Paul wrestled. He says our wrestling is with only four forces. So we're going to learn what they are today. And these four forces are not yet, not yet, not yet. These four forces begin to work through these five pressure points that is captivating the people. So spiritual work must be done in a spiritual way. Thailand has had Christianity, my goodness, what, 500 and some years. Well, we're getting there. We're over 1%, right? One point something? 1.5%. Thank you, Jesus. <sighs> we're getting there. Oh, 0.5. Oh, 0.5. Oh, my goodness, we can do better than that, right? God can do better than that. 0.5%. Oh! My goodness. 0.5%. Wow. Do you think there's a spiritual problem to this? If you had a brain surgeon, you'd want that brain surgeon to know what he's doing, right? We all have to go to doctors. We want to make sure we get a doctor who knows how to fix the problem. Why would it be any different for us? Why would it be any different? I want to give you just an idea of those five pressure points in society and these four forces working through there. Now, when we first moved to Thailand in 1999, we, we, um, where is that book? We did a prayer guide. I think they were around, way back when. Operation Kingdom Come, very, very humble prayer guide. A strategic prayer plan for targeted cities in Thailand. We took 26 cities in Thailand, most of them that had airports. We added, I think, a UTI, another, another couple of them. And we did research on some of these, and we looked at some of the history and background, what were some of the needs involved. And we went in there, and we, we, we made some prayer routes that would touch those five areas. We had teams come from Singapore and the United States, and we'd go out spend one, two, three, four days in each of those cities. We didn't get to all of them. We have, I mean, we have been to all of them, not with prayer teams. And so um, this, is a, this is available for you. It's free. I have a couple copies. I have more at home if you need it. It might be a little outdated, but it's still important. Okay, let's look here. Ephesians chapter 6. 
Uh, you'll know that Tim and uh, Mike Conserva spoke quite, quite uh, in depth on what this means and the full armor of God and doing everything to stand firm. But let's look here. Let's look here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let's stop for a second. Because we, we probably know this and we're going to... Let's stop a second. Pinch yourself. Not too hard. <laughs> Pinch yourself. Now, is there anybody who's not flesh and blood? You, you can leave now. <laughs> right? Are you flesh and blood? My wife knows I am. <laughs> right? Flesh and blood, right? Okay, here's, here's some good advice. Stop wrestling with yourself. Stop wrestling with yourself. Am I good enough? Am I tall enough? Am I smart enough? Stop wrestling with yourself. Okay? Now we do know in Galatians chapter 5 that there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. We know that. They are in opposition with one another. The flesh wants to go one way, the spirit wants to go the other way. Now we know that if we live by the Spirit, we are putting to death the deeds of flesh. Each time we obey God's Spirit, the, the flesh dies a little death. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who died, who loved me, gave himself for me. So stop wrestling with yourself. Okay, alright. How about the person next to you? Pinch the person next to you. Gently now, gently, gently. Huh? Gently. Okay. Is there anybody next to you that was not flesh and blood? Huh? No? Right? Simple illustration, right? But I think you get the point. Okay. Here's, here's some good advice. Stop wrestling with other people. Because they are not our enemy. They are not our enemy. And oftentimes, we're, we're tempted to want to fight. You know, we want to fight. We want to win the argument. Right? We, we want to get our point across. Take another little dig. <clears throat> right? <laughs> or am I the only one? <laughs> right? We're tempted that way. And Paul clearly states that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, let's go on. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the Apostle Paul narrowed it down, made it very, very simple for us. And everything hinges upon defeating these four forces. Some call them the faces of our enemy. What does he look like? Okay. Some would say the Dagons of today. We're going to look at that in First Samuel chapter 5 a little while. Let's look at each one. Uh, let's bring the first Greek word up here. The first Greek word here for power or for rulers is the Greek word archis. Excuse my spelling. Archis. Okay? Archis. And this force tries to claim preeminence. This force tries to say, I have been here first. It's the word that we get the word ancient from. Ancient. 
Archus, okay? Missionaries, professionals in our faith. We want to go plant a church. We want to start a school. Right? We want to start children. We want to start schools. And all of a sudden, you get going in there. And all of a sudden, you want to do what? Huh? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We were here first. Huh? Buddha. Don't you know Buddha was born 500 years before Jesus? Okay. And? And? Next? Right? The Arcus. This one says, I was here first. Territorial. <laughs> Got to be careful. We're not the only ones reaching different groups of people and things. We're not the only one. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, I'll read this for you. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. Let's see, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Well, let me make a point here before I go on. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, just for a second here. Because I want to set, a, prep, uh, I set a, a little standard here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says this. When he disarmed the rulers and authority, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. That's a very important scripture because when Jesus died on that cross and through His resurrection from the dead, He disarmed these four forces in Ephesians chapter 6. He disarmed them. He made a public display over them. He stripped them of their power. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, For this purpose... The Son of God was manifested that He would destroy the works of the devil. That means to undo, to unbind. He came to release the captive. He came to recover sight to the blind eyes. Jesus disarmed these powers and principalities. And I think Tim made that very, very clear in his teaching as well. Now, Colossians chapter 1. I'm sorry. Yeah, Colossians chapter 1. We're talking about the Arcus. Okay? Colossians 1, this is a description of, of Jesus. And the, the fight at Colossae at that time was, was fighting the Gnosticism that was creeping in. So let's look here, because we're going to learn that Jesus is before all things. Ah, I like that, I like that. Let's look here. Verse 17, I'm, I hate to miss anything, but i got to jump in here. Verse 17, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And He is before all things and have been uh, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. So only Jesus was here first. Okay? And... What we do through prayer walking and through prayer and through living our life before God in righteousness and holiness, anywhere this arcus tries to enlarge itself, we are diffusing that. Paul says if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled for those who are perishing and who the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. 
But Paul says, but we walk in a manifestation of truth. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the eyes of God. That means we walk a holy life as best we can, claiming the blood of Jesus. And this Arcus, only Jesus was here first. Can you get that? Only he was here first. Let's bring the next one up. Is the word Ezusius, where we look at that and it's delegated authority. Okay? And this one, this one is the right to speak issues. Right to speak. It tries to, it tries to uh, cause us to struggle with who has the right to speak. How many of us have ever been in meetings, even with well-intended people? And sometimes you get the impression that you really can't say much around here. We're trying to earn the right to speak, even with our neighbors. Oftentimes the Thai people, how long are you going to stay here? Well, what is that? They're trying to figure it out. Trying to figure it out. Maybe they won't open up their heart to you or trust you because you're not going to be here very long. Or you don't have the right to speak here. You're not from here. I get this, I mean, I get this one all the time. You're just not from here. You just, you know, you don't understand. Well, what is it to understand? Okay, now, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we know when Jesus rose from the dead, He went unto His disciples, revealed Himself to Him, and Jesus said, All power, all power in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Now go make disciples. That's the same word right there, Archis. I'm sorry, the Exusius. Jesus, only Jesus has the right to speak. Right to speak issues. People get hurt. It's not flesh and blood, folks. It's not flesh and blood. It's a force that says, you do not have the right to speak. <gasps> oh, I can't say that. Well, why not? Oh, I don't know if I can say that. Well, what are you talking about? Why can't you say that? Oh, I'm not really good at witnessing. Well, why not? Well, it's not my gift. Well, what do you mean it's not your gift? What do you have to have a gift to be able to witness for? Well, really? I thought there was like the gift of an evangelist. Well, there is. But that doesn't exclude anybody else from sharing your faith. We go through uh, feelings of being rejected or, you know, no one likes that. I don't like that. Not being heard. Risking being misunderstood, miscommunication, right to speak issues. Now, only Jesus has the right to speak. And what do we do? We go in response to His delegated authority. That's an interesting word. He delegated to them. He gave them power and authority to cast out the demons, to preach the gospel to the poor, to cleanse the leper. That's what Jesus did. He gave it to us. He said, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of power. Jesus holds the power in heaven and on earth. And even under the earth. There's an interesting thought. But only Jesus has the right to speak. Let's go on here. Let's look at the third one. What is that one? Cosmocratos. Cosmocratos. We'll look at my notes here because they fell on the ground. Okay, here we are. The Cosmocratos. And this is against the world forces of this darkness. Cosmocratos. Now this force 
tries to use people to get things. Isn't that like the world? That's what the world does. Sucks everything out you have and then drops you. Now the kingdom is different. The kingdom, you, we use things. We use things. We use innovation. We, we use things to reach people. Now in Romans chapter 12, we find Paul says, Do not be conformed unto this world. Same word. Cosmocratus. World system. Using people to get things. Materialism is rooted in this one. Materialism is running rampant all over the world. Credit card debt, all that stuff. Cosmocratos. How did I end up like this? Using people to get things. And we have to be careful that we don't do that. Man, if God would just get a hold of that guy, well, why? And if we just had this guy on our team, well, what are you talking about? Be careful that we don't want to get people because we want to take from them. Very, very careful. And Jesus said that he has overcome the world. John chapter 16, verse 33. Be of good cheer. I say these things unto you that in the world you should have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Cosmocratus. Okay, and the next one, or the last one, number four, is Numa Teplanarius. Now if you notice, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Now this is really the only one that Paul uses the word spiritual. Okay? Uses the word spiritual. Spiritual forces of wickedness. Numa te planarius. It's where we get the word from malice, slander. And it's all rooted in this word. And it means the premeditated act of doing harm to another individual. That's what that means. Abortion is rooted in this one. Envy, revenge, unforgiveness, all this one. Oh, I'm going to get you for that. I'll forgive, but I'll never forgive you. What's that? Numa te planarius. Plotting, scheming. And in, in, in the Gospels it says, And Jesus perceived the wickedness of the scribes and Pharisees. That's that one. Numa te planarius. It's the premeditated act of doing harm to another individual. And so everything depends upon our defeating these four forces. So how do we do that? Let's say this is your friend. Okay, this is your friend. And this is you. Or, no, this one's you. This one's you and me. This is our friend. Okay, this is our friend. Now, our friend, we want to share Christ with our friend. We, we're praying for him. We love him. Maybe our family member. And what it is, is our friend is under these four forces. Under these four forces. We go and try to talk. Can't hear us. Can't hear us. Because they're locked in these four forces. They can't hear us. Okay? Through the mindsets of the government, the rules, laws, through the way we're taught. Misconcept of who God is. Misconcept of what Christianity is. The educational system. Things that we've learned even from our parents. Maybe false just things that are in there. All wrapped up in these, all wrapped up here. Okay. We go and we try to talk to them. Talk, 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 talk. Cannot. Because they won't hear. So what do we do? We apply pressure. Ugh. Right? We go to the place of government like we did yesterday. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the king. We pray for the governor, Lord. We pray for, you know, 
all of a sudden, something starts to happen. Why? Because Jesus has disarmed these powers and principalities. He has put His Spirit in us. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Right? The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. The fullness of the Godhead dwellingly bought in Jesus Christ and we are complete in Him. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what do we do? We go over there. We start going to the centers of government. It's not a band-aid, not a one-time fix. We start praying for our schools, going in there, praying for our schools, interceding, asking God that these four forces will get off the hearts and minds of our people. Get off our kids. We don't accept anymore. What happens all of a sudden? You can speak. Oh, in the name of Jesus, repent. Ah, come Christian. Sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's true. Under my thumb. I mean, they're just, they're wrapped. Ephesians chapter 2. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. There's no life inside without Christ. He's the only hope we have. And if we go out and do this, folks, if you spend time at that center of government, speaking blessing, speaking God's word, if you go to these temples, just walk in there, have a little look around. Don't be afraid. right? Just have a little walk around. Go to those places in your village, in your Muban. When Debbie and I first moved here, as we said in 1989, uh, 99, we were a part of a church in this village. In this Muban, not there anymore, not, not the River of Life church that was here a few years ago and lived out. There was another one here that they closed down. And the little Bible school that was in there, and Debbie and I'd go down and we'd, we'd, we'd train, we'd train these guys, train these girls, young people from Tsingdao. And one day they asked me, can you tell us about prayer walking? Sure, I'd love to talk about prayer walking. So we did. Then I said, let's go for a little walk around the neighborhood. Let's go spy out the land. And we came down this, we walked every street in this place. I don't even know if this building was built yet. I have no idea. Walked all through that place, big pile of rubble, weeds. I mean, just bushes growing like a jungle. Now folks, if we'll go where God says to go, and if we'll pray, that's all we're called to do, really. But it's, it's so easy to get sidetracked off. It's so easy. I get sidetracked all the time. But if we'll go and pray and do what God's called us to do, stay focused on that. Let Him do the work. It's about His battle anyways. We're just here invoking, invoking the name of Jesus on these false gods and these false idols and these four forces in Ephesians chapter 6. We're in there in, invoking the kingdom of God. That Jesus can do something in here. Let's look here at our last slide. Hey, I'm not doing too bad on the time. Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Okay, let's look here. How does all of this work? Let's go to the next slide. Are we back there? Okay. How does all of this work? Ah, oh, well, my spell checker didn't work. <laughs> God certainly has a way to keep us humble, right? How does all of this work? Okay. In Exodus chapter 25, God told Moses to make a box. Okay? Make a box. Okay? God told Moses to make a box. That was the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? We're going to look at some archetypology here. Now, the Ark, the Ark of God, represented what? Power and presence of God. 
That's the place where God dwelt. No one could touch it. You know, in David's day, when Uzzah reached out and they put the cart, they put the ark on a new cart, bring it up from the Philistines that captured it, and Uzzah reached out and touched it, died. So the ark was a very sacred thing, right? It represented the power and presence of God. Power and presence of God. So Moses was told to make a box. The box was made of acacia wood, and the inside of the box was clothed with gold, and the outside of the box was clothed, clothed with gold. God told Moses to put three things in the box. The pot of manna, pot of manna, God's provision, right? The law, Ten Commandments, God's word, and Aaron's rod that budded, bringing life out of death. Aaron's rod that budded. God told Moses to put a lid on the box, put a crown molding on the box, put an angel on one side, put an angel on the other. And that, that the glory of God would come down, Moses, and Moses would speak, or God would speak to Moses above the mercy seat between the two angels, the glory of God would go there. Now, I've said that to say this. That box, box, okay? Inside with gold. Outside with gold. You and I are a fulfillment of that. Jesus ultimately, He was the Word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the fullness of God, dwelt in Him bodily. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. He, he is the power of God, presence of God. New Testament believer, as a temple, God doesn't live in a box anymore. Right? God doesn't live in a box. I hope you all got that right. God doesn't live in a box anymore. doesn't live in a building. He lives in people. He wants to come and make Himself known to us. Okay, so the wood, the wood is our humanity, clothed, with Christ's divinity. And God puts three things in our life. He puts the manna, God's provision, right? The manna, give us this day our daily bread. God puts His Word in us. He writes it on the tablet of our heart. Not with ink, not on stone. Human's hearts written by the Spirit of God. And God gives us, He's the only one who can bring us from death of life, Aaron's rod that budded. And He puts His lid, He puts a lid on our life. No one can look down through there. When God puts a lid on your life, no one can look in there. God puts an angel on one side, angel on the other. And the judgment seat becomes the mercy seat because of the blood of Jesus. And the glory of God flows down through, above, and out to the nations of the earth. Now let's all stand. You've been sitting a little bit here now, so we're going to do this. We're going to do a box. Can you go like this? Huh? Make a box. God told Moses to make a box. Okay? Okay? Inside with gold, outside with gold. Put three things in the box. Pot of manna. <laughs> tablets of stone. Ten commandments put in there. Aaron's rod that budded. Close the box. Boom. Put a crown molding on the box. We are a royal priesthood. Puts an angel on one side. Puts an angel on the other side. And the judgment seat becomes the mercy seat because of the blood of Jesus. And the glory of God. Oh, the glory of God comes down. Angel on one side and it goes out. Now let's look at First Timothy chapter 5. You can all sit down. Oh, hallelujah. First Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I want to read this. <clears throat> I, love, I love the Bible. Do you love the Bible? I love the Bible. I love God's Word. It's so simple. I mean, some things are hard to understand, but, but the greatest truths are the simplest. Let's look here in First Samuel chapter 5. Oh, thank you, Jesus. First Samuel chapter 5. 1 through 5. Now the Philistines took the ark of God 
and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashog. That was a big mistake. Verse 2. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it beside Dagon. When the Asherites uh, rose in the morning the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him up in his place again. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to this day. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor all who enter Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashad to this day. Now there's some ark victory there, folks. The Philistines made a big mistake by stealing the ark. Okay, now, the Dagon, as you know, was, was a god of the Philistines. There was a temple there. And so somehow they managed to steal the ark of the covenant. They went in there and they put it right beside the idol of Dagon in Dagon's house, Dagon's temple. And what happened? Next morning they come in, Dagon had fallen down in front of the ark. So that they go in the next morning, pop him up. Pop him up, get them all sitting up there. Okay, what happened here? Set them all up. What happened? Next morning they go in, what happened? Fell down. Then what happened? Head chopped off. Palms chopped off. Feet chopped off. All that was left was the trunk of Dagon. Now what was the ark doing? Just being an ark. Just being an ark. Just sitting in there in the house of the false god. Just being an ark. Just emanating the presence of God. What do we do? We go to those five pressure points. We go in there filled with the Holy Spirit. We go in there full of God's Word. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Redeemed and cleansed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. We go in there and stand before these four forces in Ephesians chapter 6. We stand there just being an ark. Yesterday the kids just, they just quietly walked down the street. Every once in a while they group up and talk, share some scriptures, pray according to the word. What are they doing? They're just being an ark, carrying the presence of God, bearing His presence before these false gods of these nations. So false gods bow down in the presence of the ark. We are the ark. False gods bow down in the presence of the ark. We are the ark. False gods bow down, lose their heads in the presence of the ark. We are the ark. False gods bow down, lose their hands and feet in the presence of the ark. We are the ark. So the head, Dagon, chopped off. What is that? Thoughts of the enemy, plans of the enemy, the devil's schemes, plotting, trying to trip us up. What about the hands? Actions, deeds of the enemy. As I quoted earlier, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus came to undo. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Folks, I'm telling you, this is, this is important stuff. This is, not, this is not some spiritual exercise, some spiritual gymnastics that we do. This is very important stuff. And if we could just get a hold of it and apply it to our life and live in it everywhere we go, Jesus goes. 
Everywhere we go. We don't leave him here. Lord, you stay over here. I'm going to go over there. No, he goes with us. He goes with us. So I wanted you to think about where you're at. In your life. In your work. And how do these four forces affect you in your work. In your life. Do you, do you sense that sometimes with the feeling of, you know, I was here first and that struggle? It's not people. Do you ever feel that way about having the right to speak or feeling little and you can't say it, your words just seem to don't have any meaning? Right to speak. Do you feel like sometimes that you're just being used? Being used? Feel kind of yucky? Man, I just feel like I was just taken advantage of here. Wait a minute. Well, what? It's not, it's not, not flesh and blood. Not flesh and blood. Do you feel like something is just out, just out to get you? Someone is just plotting or something is just, you feel like you're just getting tripped up? You're, you're like the, you're like just being a focus of somebody and their vengeance. We started partway through here about our struggle is not flesh and blood. Not flesh and blood. And the other morning in, in, in the office with Tim and the guys, we were praying through the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus clearly states, if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. Part of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It doesn't matter. I don't matter. Doesn't matter who we are. We all have people who have done us wrong, one point or another. And there's only so much we can take. So I want us just to think about that for a moment, just as we go back into worship, and we're going to certainly pray for Thailand. We're going to pray for Burma. I want you to think about that. And if you have somebody in your life that has ever hurt you or abused you, or have said anything hurtful against you, it's, let's, let's, just, let's, let's release those people. Let's not hold them in contempt. Living or dead. Living or dead. Maybe it's somebody in your past, or time to forgive. Let's just do that for a moment. A name might come to mind. A, pe- a person's face might come to mind. An incident might come. You might see it again. Let's just take a moment here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we're mindful today of, once again, Lord, of our frailties, the weaknesses of our flesh. Lord, we know that our struggle... It's not against people. And so, Lord Jesus, I just take a moment here and I'm going to ask you, Lord, I'm going to ask you to look deep down in my heart. And Father, by choice, by choice, by choice, I choose to forgive from my heart every person Every person said hurtful things to me, Lord. I I forgive them. 
I forgive them, Lord. And Father, I release them right now. I release them, Lord. I release them, Jesus. That they might walk in righteousness. That they might know Jesus. That they might know your hand of forgiveness. And so, Father, I release them now. I forgive them now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you for the blood of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for your love and for your mercy today. That, Lord, we can truly know heartfelt forgiveness today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is um, a special Sunday, as you know. There's a gathering in Bangkok, a political uh, situation there. I'm sure you guys are getting the news about Thailand. And so, as we go back into worship here, um, 